Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. Rebecca Williams and Julie Kraft have been writing together for more than 10 years about how to use mindfulness and self-compassion to enhance recovery from addictions. Their most recent book is called The Gift of Recovery, 52 Mindful Ways to Live Joyfully Beyond Addiction. Well, the first question I have for the two of you is how did you join forces in the realm of both mindfulness and addiction? Because it seems like those are two very separate ideas. Yeah, I think that was um, a natural collaboration for the two of us. Actually, we were working together at the VA. Um, Rebecca was my supervisor, uh, working with veterans. And um, Rebecca has a really strong mindfulness background, which I'll let her talk about. I had really had a strong interest in addiction and substance abuse, and she was watching me, uh, supervising me work with clients who were going through a lot of those concerns. And uh, she really advised me to take a more mindful approach, and that's kind of how it started. Yeah, that's how it started. And uh, this is Rebecca. I saw in Julie a real, a real spark of joy, and I really thought to myself, if I were to work with someone and writing a book, and as you know, Nicole, it takes, it's about a two, two to five year process. Um, who do I want to hang out with for five years? <laughs> Write the book, market the book. So she just, uh, Julie was just a very warm, kind person, and I wanted to um, explore mindfulness with her and also and encourage both of us to kind of stay in the game to, to bring this message, as you said, bring the message to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that you just clicked on a very big, very important first message, which is, you know, be kind and joyful and people will want to work with you and collaborate on really cool projects. So <laughs> way to go, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> so was there something in your own lives that made you sensitive to the subject of addiction? Uh, actually, I myself have been in recovery uh, for 13 years, and uh, so this is obviously very close to my heart, and um, then being able to become a therapist and work with addicts in recovery, seeing addicts recover, and being able to feel like I have a small part in helping people get some of the joy of sobriety that I've received has been just a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. How about you, Rebecca? For me, um, I've had family who were addicted to alcohol and drugs and also struggled with mental illness. Uh, So I've been drawn to get my master's degree and get my PhD in clinical psychology. And I really focus my energies on substance abuse treatment, different kinds of treatments. And I've tried all different kinds of treatments. And what what we keep coming back to is this sense of kindness self-compassion, mindfulness in terms of maintaining recovery over time. So it's been cool. Yeah, I'm curious about that. That what what is that relationship between kindness and addiction recovery? You know, what my experience has been is that people who are using drugs or alcohol or have other destructive behaviors are super mean to themselves. They are very um unpleasant to themselves. They are, they beat themselves up constantly from what I've seen over the last 20 years. So I wanted to be able to interject this other part of the brain in there, which is the kind, compassionate part of the brain that should be there, almost like a best friend that comes in and says, hey, it's going to be all right. You're doing the best you can. Calm down. Take it easy. 
And so, you know, that's basically a kind of mindfulness and, uh, and meditation is really just making sure you're able to calm down and bring in the parts of yourself that are well and able to heal. Yeah, I think sometimes we forget that we have a part of us that is well still because addiction becomes such a big black cloud. Would you agree with that, Julie? I would. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of my favorite things to talk to recovering clients about uh, is the fact that that there is this part of ourselves that is like always pure and untouched. Like whatever we've been through, there's something within us that is so whole and that is just never broken um, and that it's really about kind of... Um, cleaning off the debris that we've accumulated through the addiction so that we can kind of find that shine within us that is just still ever present um, that I love to talk to people about. Find the shine within you. That's beautiful. I love that. So addiction, you know, it, it is a lonely place in your book. The gift of recoveries is kind of like having a hand to hold during the darkest moments. And the chapters are are very short, just a couple of pages because you, you go through these 50 to um, mindfulness tactics. What was the intention behind having those those chapters be so bite sizable? We thought that was really really important when we were constructing the book um, because I we just felt like we wanted people to have like you said something they could just pick up. Um, and really turn to any page or really look at the table of contents and go, what's coming up for me today and what do I need some support with? And that we would have these 52 topics that really felt like were important for people in recovery that they could just access and feel like um, just in a few minutes, they heard what they needed to hear, they learned what they needed to learn in that moment. And then at the end of every chapter, having these um, these various affirmations for people to read um, and hopefully post, post somewhere and <clears throat> really connect with to kind of, you know, uplift and, and help them through some of, um, you know, the challenging moments that happen in, in every life, not just a recovering life. 52 uh, weeks of the year. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we want to think of recovery as ongoing every day, every year, you know, just, just kind of continue it and try not to lose track of where you are in your wellness. I especially love the affirmations at the end of each chapter. There's like one short phrase for each day of the week based on which mindfulness tactic you're working on. And I dog-eared uh, a couple of these, you know, uh, the one, the affirmations for coping with cravings. Uh, you know, Monday said, cravings are a natural part of my recovery and I will move through them naturally. Tuesday, I know I can tolerate cravings just like any other urge. Wednesday, I embrace my recovery. Relapse does not appeal to me. Thursday, I'm willing to move through my urges to use. Friday, cravings are not commands. I loved that. Cravings are not commands. Saturday, I make choices in my recovery and I choose to move through cravings. And then Sunday, I, I thought also was really, really great. All cravings are temporary. Uh can you talk about how you intend for people to use those affirmations? What we talked about when we started writing the book is that um, you just like you do on your podcast and, and what you do, Nicole, is giving that kind, the kindness um, blurbs out to your members and your listeners every, I think you do it every day or every week. Um, is that right, Nicole? Yeah, well, I, I there's the, the kindness podcast comes out every Thursday, but we have different things that, that come out throughout the week, yeah. Right. I really, really like that. That's what drew me to, to you, actually, to begin with, um, because we believe in the exact same thing, that people just need a boost mm -hmm. every 
pretty much every day. And if you put it in your phone and look at it and give yourself a reminder to look at the affirmation, like we say three to five times a day, um, just as a minimum, as well as writing it on your post-it note, putting it on your computer, just a reminder. It kind of calms your central nervous system down and you actually start feeling pretty good. Like you can get through a craving um, just with a reminder. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of putting them in your phone, right? And having it automatically go off and automatically ping you so that you're being proactive about what you should be thinking about. Because you know, I always say, like, think about what you're thinking about. And at any given moment, <laughs> if if I stop and think in my brain, what is going through my mind right now? Sometimes it's not great. Do you feel that way, Julie? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. And I, one of my favorite recovering recovery sayings is uh, your mind is a dangerous neighborhood. Try not to go there alone. <laughs> I feel that's so true. And so just having, you know, something to read or some kind of a reminder to pause and more positively, I think it's so powerful. So there's also the mindfulness workbook for addiction. And Rebecca, how essential do you think it is in a recovery to actively call out and write down the feelings? Because some of this, it's like, it's, it seems like it would hurt, you know, like there's a there's a checklist for addiction signs, for troubling behavior. There's there's places that you can write out your answers to different questions and scenarios. So how how important is that for someone to, to really follow through on the workbook? Yeah, that's a great question. The, the great thing about the workbook is that it's um, it could be for counselors to work with their clients with. Oh. Um, you know, so it's, it can be used in group settings. We've actually had it um, uh, be purchased in prisons and other uh, recovery facilities. So it can be done in, in multiple groups or individually, or just a person can pick it up. Um, the key, as you said, Nicole, is that feelings are fairly intense in recovery. And this workbook has you slow down and write down what's going on for you so that you don't get overwhelmed by your feelings. Because remember one thing, just like cravings are temporary, feelings are temporary also. Anything you want to add to that, Julie? Yeah, I would just say um, I'm a big believer in putting pen to paper. I totally agree with Rebecca that it's a slowing down process because at least for me, my mind moves very quickly. And um, for a lot of people I know and in recovery, especially early recovery, things are just bouncing around and get really muddled and um, can really drive these strong feelings that you're talking about. So to slow down and put pen to paper in this really organized way with the workbook guiding you in a really loving way, I think think too. I think the workbook is very supportive um, and very step-by-step. It really does help to kind of slow things down and to take some of the intensity out of those strong feelings too. I, I have talked a lot with parents who have kids who are uh, abusing substances and whether that's, um, you know, heavy drugs, whether it's alcohol, it seems like um, there's just such pain for the family members that are that are standing by helplessly. So what advice do each of you have for family members of people dealing with addiction? And Julie, let's start with you. Sure. Uh, this one's definitely close to my heart as a, as a marriage and family therapist. I think it, you know, it does affect the entire system. So um, one thing I would say is self-care. Um, so it can be so easy to think about and to focus on um, 
suffering family member. Um, so much energy is going there naturally, but we have to pause and take care of ourselves. It's, it's just absolutely critical. Developing support systems, so finding a support group if possible, I highly recommend so that you realize you're not the only one going through this. And there are other people who can really understand it on a level that maybe, um, maybe friends or other family members don't get. Um, and the other thing I would say is if we can try to find that place of compassion um, for the one who is suffering in the addiction, and that is really hard to hold because it's naturally so darn angry and frustrated and scared and, you know, the whole range of emotions um, for a family member, um, to see if we can find a way to be loving, um, to be supportive, um, and to you know, just encourage that person that when they're ready to recover uh, or if they're in recovery, you know, that we have their backs, you know, as angry as we've been and as, as much as we, as we've had hostility probably in the relationship that we are there for that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, what do you have to add to that? One thing I would add is that um, if a family member feels like they're over helping, they need yes. to take a step back. Um, I've been, everyone has been, everyone I know has been there at some point or another, over helping, just throwing everything at it. Um, and what, what works for me is to really lean back and understand that when I'm over helping, I might be missing parts of what I need to be well my, myself. And so what do I need to get, re return to? Is it sleeping? Is it my finances? Is it um, eating right? All the self-care things may go out the window when you're working or, or have a family member who's um, actively using drugs or any other problem. When you say overhelping, I mean, so I know grandparents who take care of their grandchildren because because the, the, the parents of those children are addicts and are in the throes of that. So is that considered overhelping? At what point are you... At one point, do you need to step up? And at one point, is it considered overhelping? Yeah, I think, um, as Julie mentioned, working with a counselor, a marriage therapist, or a psychologist to kind of tease apart what is naturally taken care of, you know, say the children of someone who's addicted versus um, am I throwing everything of my life away in order to help a person who's, who's really struggling and who needs to get their own personal help. So um, life is a journey. And if you're an, an addiction or if you're alcoholic, there is a process to get well. There's a ton of stuff in place. I'm not sure about in your area, um, Nicole, but where Julie and I were from, San Diego, there was a, a million um, ways to get help, um, along with AA and NA. And so, you know, it's okay to get help um, for the addict or the alcoholic. And it's okay also for the family member to think, ooh, I'm struggling, I need to get help too. So um, no, there's there's different ways to help, but I think a person knows when they're overhelping, when they're overextending, when they're not sleeping, when, you know, I, I think it's naturally you kind of figure that out for yourself. So before I let both of you go, I'm hoping each of you have a kindness story that you'll share with me. And it can have something to do with your work or personal life or whatever. I'm just looking for a time that maybe you were kind and how it felt or a time when kindness showed up just when you needed it. Uh, anybody have one that comes to mind? I've got something, uh, Nicole, that I experienced, you know, a, a fair amount of years ago 
I was a psychologist um, in San Diego working at a outpatient counseling center. And um, a gentleman came in to me who was really struggling. He was, you know, depressed, substance abuse problems, and really um, wasn't kind to himself. And the prescription I gave him was to go out and help somebody, go volunteer. And so he actually took me up on it. He went to the Red Cross and he, uh, vol- he, he was hired as a volunteer and he immediately was put to work because there were some emergencies going on. He was sent out to a, a family who uh, their, their house was just on, uh, burned down, unfortunately. And so he was there with blankets and food and help and he was connecting with the other volunteers and he came back to me and he was a changed person. He was no longer sad. It seems like his brain had changed. Um, and he, um, we worked through the recovery that he was working on. And I'm telling you, when you give back, when you're feeling depressed or in, in early recovery, it makes a huge difference. That's been my experience. Wow, that is really cool. Really, really cool. All right, Julie, that's a tough one to beat. You don't have to beat it, but can you share your own? (laughs) Thanks a lot, Rebecca. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I don't think I can beat that, but um, just in a similar vein, thinking about um, in 12-step recovery, which I know a lot of people kind of have um, maybe even stigmas or different ideas about what 12-step recovery really looks like, Um, but it's actually you know, it's not a self-help program. They call it an other help program. So it's really built on this foundation that um, you turn around and help others all the time. So I see acts of kindness constantly. Um, People who come in and are shaking and feeling just devastated and broken and terrified of this idea of starting recovery. And they are just scooped up by other people uh, in the rooms of of 12-step rooms. And, um, and are just really um, kind of enveloped in love. And there's this idea of we're going to love you until you can love yourself. And that is um, just one of the, the promises of the, of the community is that there's just that much support there. So I, I do see that on a regular basis. It always makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Love it. Thank you both so much for taking the time to to write this this book, The Gift of Recovery, 52 Mindful Ways to Live Joyfully Beyond Addiction. It is a powerful book. It is an important book. And I just thank you for dedicating so much time to bringing it out to the public. That was a conversation with Rebecca Williams and Julie Kraft, authors of The Gift of Recovery, 52 Mindful Ways to Live Joyfully Beyond Addiction. You can learn more about their work at mindfulnessworkbook.com. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, please spread some kindness in the review section. 